Yes, hello, and welcome to the Masterpiece Theater. Today, we will be discussing literature. Um, Adam? Yes? I thought we were doing a neurodivergent polyamorous podcast today. Hmm. Oh, yes, quite indeed we are. But it's about books. Well, in that case, carry on, good sir. Well, thank you. Hey guys, welcome back to Masterpiece Neurodivergent Polyamorous Theater 3000, where I've combined the titles of three different things into one, because that's how I roll today. Mm, Professor Adam, I am not even attempting to say the name that you just spit out, but I am looking forward to talking about how polyamorous and you know neurodivergent and relationship anarchy could all be rolled into some of our favorite you know stories and movies, just so that they'd be a little bit better. And I'm not even high when I'm talking like this. That's the funny part. Nope, he is not high, folks. I can see him, and he is ready to roll. <laughs> but but no, no, you're, you're totally right. Because there are so many nerdy properties, and not even nerdy, pop culture stuff in general, that like I find myself watching or reading or whatever, and I'm, and I'm like, you know, that character is totally neurodivergent. Oh, you're not going to acknowledge? Okay. Or, or... You know, you guys could solve this problem by, oh, you're fighting? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Like, I find, and especially in a lot of newer, like, I'm going to go with, like, Disney stuff, because I watch a lot of Disney. There is so much queer coding and neurospicy coding, and they're just, they're kind of like, hmm? Mm? Like, giving us a little tidbit and then being like, oh, but we'll confirm anything. Right? Right? And actually, so, anyone in the, anyone listening who caught my burlet fest presentation will know how passionate i am about the whole direct representation versus indirect representation thing and that's why when i was i, I started rewriting a novel i wrote in high school recently and i decided to make a character neurodivergent and my first instinct because i grew up in this culture was code it but not say it but i thought no adam you know what no you be blunt about this he is neurodivergent you spell it out on the page and you're good with that and i think more things need to do that they do now there's a lot to be said about the hidden messages in movies especially again i'm going to go back to disney movies and one that we did an entire episode on um and oh, whoa, whoa. Well, you mean we don't talk about brew no no <laughs> exactly you know i actually just rewatched that um with my other half and my borrowed son uh, because borrowed son had not seen it i had already forced gigantor to watch it and we've been singing the music. So we're working uh, a renovation job. And, you know, I have these two big construction working guys with me. And we're singing, you know, we don't talk about Bruno and under pressure. Uh, <laughs> or surface pressure, not under pressure, surface pressure. And so finally, uh, Baby Tank was asking questions like, well, why don't they talk about Bruno? And, you know, they talk a lot about Bruno, who they're not talking about, and other stuff. So I was like, you know what? Uh, tonight, instead of playing WoW, which we've been doing a lot because we are uh, seven hours away from home and we have to uh, entertain ourselves somehow when we're not working. Um, so I got him to watch Encanto and he really enjoyed it, I think. But 
it's also those those hidden messages that are in there and how you can relate to the characters. But I do think it would be nice if we just had some movies that were just like, yes, you know, this person is LGBTQ or autistic or ADHD and not necessarily the kind of Sheldon Cooper Rain Man version of autism and neurospiciness that we get. I know. Actually, on that note, because you've been teasing me a little this season that I haven't done a whole lot of Star Trek references. So Neat tease? Never. <laughs> well, it's okay because I'm going to make up for my, my, my dearth of them by making a big one right now. Ooh, big one. So, big one. Sorry. <laughs> I am a 12-year-old boy. But, okay, so there is an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. I think it's called The Outcast. The concept is... Bear with me. I saw you shake your head. I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, they, uh, the Enterprise gets called in to help an alien civilization with some technical stuff or something. And the, your typical setup for a procedural of the week type thing, right? But the key thing here is this species in question does not have a concept of gender. And at one point, we find out that the main character has kind of been, the main one of these aliens is working with the crew, actually feels like they are female. And is outcast by their society along with others who actually feel a gender because it's seen as not appropriate and, and all that kind of stuff. The writers at the time were trying to do a commentary on gay rights because it was the 90s and they didn't succeed very well because also, I mean, anyone who's interested in this can look up the entire history of Star Trek and homophobia because the showrunner Rick Berman at the time was a complete asshole when it came to this stuff and I have thoughts on him. <laughs> so they were kind of trying to do this in a way that like circumvented his bullshit and still did something and it didn't work as an LGBT, as a gay rights thing but it has aged very well as a trans rights allegory (laughs) and it's one of those things where like a lot of trans activists speak about this episode fondly if they're also trekkies but a lot of people also say like okay that's great and allegory and metaphor is great when it comes to telling stories and like kind of making a point without being nail on the head hitting the nail on the head being too obvious type thing but if that's all you do you're just making it seem like us people who don't fit in the bo- in the in the boxes are just these mythical creatures that don't exist in reality. You need to actually represent us in real life too. You know what I mean? Like we we should exist in the future too. We could exist at all times, but I get exactly what you're saying. Um, excuse me again, taking it back to Disney movies, um, Frozen. Yeah, when it came out, was definitely a great symbol of what it's like to be in the closet mm-hmm. and then come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one even still was along the same lines of trying to show what it's like once you're out and you're still finding all these secrets and, you know, great that we have all of these movies and media that speak to us in that way. But what is so hard about just including us? us? Um, it was funny. We were watching, uh, Gigantor and I were watching a movie. What movie was it now? What show was it? And now I can't remember, of course. But one of the things that we said after we... Oh, yes, I do remember. Sorry, it was Lock and Key. It's a Netflix series. And one of the things that we said in it was we loved the realism of the diversity in the show. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. It is a magical show about magical keys and magical locks and beings and this and that. But it was just like, oh, this is our gay uncle. Oh, we have, you know, this person who is like this. And it was never announced they were just there yeah like real life yeah 
you know, I have never in my life, well, no, that's not true. Some people make a big spectacle out of the fact that I'm, you know, pansexual or uh, neurospicy or whatever. It's like, oh, this is Becca. She's our token, you know, pansexual, polyamorous, uh, neurodivergent Rolodex of stuff. And you're like, or <laughs> I'm Becca. How are you? Yeah. Right. Right. And like, I do notice that, especially I find among people who don't have as much exposure to the LGBTQ community and like other marginalized groups, it's like the fact that you are or I am these things is like this huge deal in their minds. And like, they, they won't make an issue out of it when they're talking to you, but you can tell it's on their minds. And they're, you know, they're separating you from it because, oh, this is Adam. He's bisexual. But as if that's the biggest thing in the world. Like, I'm also Adam, a huge Star Trek nerd. I'm also Adam, a writer. I'm also, you know, like, I'm also just Adam. Like, hi. You know what I mean? But yes. And, and I do wish that that was added more into our media where it is not the forefront of someone's personality, but it is included, not just baited. Well, okay. So like you hear a lot of times in the autistic community that like your autism is uh, is an essential part of you and it can't be separated from you. And I agree with that 110%. It, uh, being autistic is as much a part of me as having brown hair, having brown eyes, you know, being a writer, all these things. But I mean, I, I have totally had the experience where in my activist work, I've encountered well-meaning parents and, and people who are not trying to be assholes, but, and definitely recognize that I'm a nuanced person, but everything with them in, in their interactions with them and me tend to come down to, oh, this is Adam. He's my autistic friend. Right. And I hate that. But beyond that, I also hate when we're, you know, we watch these movies and we, we absorb this media and one of my issues with it is okay let's use uh archie comics as an example oh i love archie comics now not we're not talking about riverdale we're talking about archie that's comics right. that's right okay archie betty and veronica i could have solved all of their problems very easily <laughs> yeah yeah and i think we see so much of that in the media where you know what? I get that when Archie Comics came out, polyamorism wasn't talked about. No. I'm sure it existed, but we certainly weren't accepted and we certainly weren't talked about. That's right. But as time has gone on, you know we're here. Like, you are aware that we are here. You are aware that we are a thing. You are aware that we are not all sister wives. Yes. Um, and it would be really nice to see positive representations of polyamory in media. Oh my gosh, yes. My god, I, I I completely agree. Like, there are so many times where like I'm watching a show and I feel like, you know, if you would just talk about this, <laughs> like okay, to make another sci-fi analogy, there or a couple example, there is a show, I'm sure people have heard of it, Battlestar Galactica from the early 2000s. Um, this show had so much incidents of characters getting with other characters and breaking up and going with other characters, whatever, that there was literally a term, like, there was, now, the in-universe version of the F-word is frack. There was a frack chart that someone online did of who's been with who and who is with who, and, and it was, the, it was the most elaborate thing, and now I would look at that, and that's just an elaborate polycule. <laughs> that's the thing, and, <clears throat> excuse me, again, I watch all of this media, and I'm like, okay, maybe you're not into thruples be a hinge yeah like why couldn't edward have been with bella and bella could have also been with jacob now don't get me wrong i just like the entire twilight series it is not my bag but you're right though that solves the entire 
drama of the episode of the, of the movie again i understand that they do it for the drama they also did it in hunger games and i am a fan of the hunger games um but a lot of the times they the the love triangles they are clearly there for dramatic effect yeah they don't they don't push the storyline they're not really a major and i mean maybe they are in twilight i don't know i haven't read it nor have i seen the movies it never interested me that much but it just doesn't seem to fuel anything other than being dramatic. Well, and it also, it's, I find it feel, it's a very forced feeling and artificial feeling source of drama in shows because a lot of times, especially shows on the CW, now I say that with love for the entire DCCW verse because at a time when the movies were kind of crap, DCCW verse was carrying the team. But at the same time, like, so like Arrow, oh my gosh, Arrow and Ollie and Felicity. I, I'm sorry if you've never seen the show, but like, oh God. They stretched this will they, won't they, drama, get together, angry, break up. The entire run of like six or seven, I forget how long the show was. But like, it got tired and stale and just an artificial source of tension that could have been solved in like five seconds. And then there are shows like Letterkenny. And I know, uh, I don't think you've seen a lot of Letterkenny, but I have seen every episode of Letterkenny and the spinoff to Shorzy. And folks, full disclosure, the reason I have not watched a whole lot of Letterkenny is it's filmed in my hometown and I find it impossible to separate what I'm seeing from reality. And so therefore I can't watch it. But it's funny and I agree. See, I loved watching it for that reason. Because again, I also lived in your hometown for, you know, a number of years. And I'm going, oh, I know where that is. I've ate at that restaurant. I think I sat in that booth. And I really enjoy it. Of course, there's also moments, you know, where you're watching, I don't know, the spinoff of it. Again, I was watching Shorzy and um, one of my ex-partners was in it. And I was just like, oh, like it was kind of one of those crazy moments. Yeah. But in Letterkenny, in the original season, the sister Katie is dating uh, Jonesy and Riley, the hockey boys. And they... Never make a big deal out of it. Nobody does. It's just like, yep, that's them. Uh, nobody made a big deal that they were together. No one made a big deal when they split. They, there was no ridiculous storyline about how they split up purely because there were three of them. Like, it was never any of that. It was just, they were there. That's how it was. And it was really cool to see. Right. And I think with a lot of things, the more we are allowed to portray ourselves properly in media, the easier it is to exist, the more digestible, as horrible as that sounds, we become in everyday life. Well, and so, okay, admittedly, I'm a baby queer compared to you, so you probably already know about, of this of this tension, but I'm still going to go there anyway. I know there's been a tension in the community from the earliest days where a lot of the earliest activism was, see, we're just like everyone else, you should accept us. And then there's another faction that's like, well, no, we shouldn't have to fit into your box to be socially acceptable. We don't exist for your comfort, you know? And, like, to be honest, I see both sides of that because I know there are people in my life who are queer who literally just want the white picket fence and the house and the dog and the kid, but they just want it with a, with a person of the same sex, and that's perfectly cool. And there are other people who I know who are, like myself, I think, I think honestly, who exists completely outside of all of that and just wants to be able to do my thing. And I think we need to represent both of those things in media yes. and one gets better representation than the other. Absolutely. Um, excuse me. I love seeing queer media. It is one of my favorite things. I actually fell in love. Again, it's not a great movie, but you know that I have 
just a soft spot for Hallmark romance Christmas movies. I just, I love them. And there was one that came out on Netflix last year? No. I heard it was, I heard it was good, but I never actually watched it. I think I know the one you're talking um, about. It's, uh, I, uh, I think it came out in 2021. And it's called Single All the Way. And it is a beautiful romance story. It just happens to be between two men. Yeah. And I love that. This normal portrayal of life. And I think that we could have more of that. Relation anarchy, relationship anarchy is much more prevalent than people think. Polyamory is much more prevalent than people think. Um, LGBTQ relationships are much more prevalent than people think. And so it doesn't neuros- have to be... So we're neuroscience. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it doesn't always have to be portrayed as, you know, queer people, we're not always into the club scene. We're not all fashion designers. Or on the flip side, we're not all female construction workers. I say being a female construction worker. But that is not the point. (laughs) But what I'm saying is we can have these stories as however we want because we are just people. Right. We are just stardust in a meat neck, just living life every single normal way that everybody else is. And for some reason, they have to put these crazy spins on it because it's something outside of the norm. So it's funny you just said that because polyamory gets this bad rap of like being this crazy, you know, sex sex crazed, weird, out to lunch, you know, like deviant thing. I mean, do you want to know what I do with a lot of my polyamorous partners? Make Star Trek references? Star Wars actually is one of them, but yes. Um, the other, and also play WoW with that one. And the other one, uh, they and I are planning a D&D campaign with, uh, uh, with their partner. And that's the kind of thing, like, I feel like there is a stereotype and a joke, a joking stereotype in the community of, like, the fact that D&D is an inherently queer thing. And, like, all, like the, the nerdy queers like us just want to sit around and play D&D with our polycules. But it's something I don't feel it gets represented nearly enough in the media because it's always it's always the twink white gay boys at the club. Yeah, it really is. And actually, it's funny because I know how excited I get if there is any reference to polyamory in media. Because, oh, yeah. again, Gigantor and I were watching a Netflix series and um, it's called How to Make a Sex Room or a Sex Dungeon. I think it's How to Make a Sex Room. That's um, I want to watch that now. It was actually really great. Um, We very much enjoyed it. And there is a polycule on the show. Now it was how to make a sex room. So, you know, it was kind of showing off more of the wild side that can be part of polyamory. But what I loved is not only did they show that side, because again, making sex rooms, but they also showed how huddly they were and how important it was for them to be a family and have a space to be together. And it was a large polycule. I think it was seven people, mm-hmm. but it was fantastic to see the duality and have it done in such a way where there was no judgment whatsoever. Yes, absolutely. Because we don't, we don't get nearly enough of that, I don't think. Um, I find a lot of times that is not emphasized in media. You know, yeah, you'll, you'll get occasional references to stuff like that, but not nearly enough. And people still have this idea that polyamorous is inherently, polyamory is inherently dangerous to like family dynamics and kids and upbringing and all that stuff. But it's really not because as far as I'm concerned, the more loving adults like in a kid's life, say, for example, in a polycule that has children involved, 
that kid's going to be better off with having loving adults. And I don't have the studies offhand to link here, but I have read studies in the past about the fact that like kids raised in polyamorous households are no better or worse adjusted than kids raised in monogamous households. In fact, kids raised in queer households, period, tend to be better adapted than and I think part of it too is people never make the connections between like they just go oh polyamory bad but what's the difference of you know a single parent who every couple of weeks or every couple of months is bringing home a different partner right you know and they're together for a few weeks or a month or so and then they split up and then there's a new so on and so forth I find that that would be more damage very difficult and I don't want to say more or less damaging But, you know, you put the stigmatism on one specific thing and don't look at all of the other aspects of how life really works. Well, okay, yeah, I shouldn't have said damaging myself. Um, What I mean is that I could see causing more difficulty for a kid because attachment and then breakup and attachment and then breakup. Whereas, I mean, really think about it, thinking about it truly. What is the difference between a close-knit polycule raising a kid and friends some of whom have a kid it as a tight-knit friend group okay some of the adults are having sex the kid's not gonna know that really i would hope not (laughs) 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 and uh, and so from the kid's perspective these are just a bunch of adults that all care about them yeah and sometimes they sleep over yeah and I, i think we need to emphasize the that side of polyamory more in media like i'm not saying make it socially acceptable and respectable so that like it fits in with the boxes but show that it can be in its own way just as loving and respectable as the dominant viewpoint of relationships well i think in that aspect that yes we should be portraying it as socially acceptable and normal because it is and you know i i think if we would just take off the stigmas of of all of this that you know it's all about you know polyamory is just a sex cult or we're all sister wives or any of this stuff you know because I know I have had people say to me when I came out um as polyamorous they're just like well you make it look normal and I'm like well it is normal normal." and I did practice poly fidelity I remember the word um so I explained it as it's just a relationship with extra players yeah, there's no difference between and I'm, you get a lot of this like, well, how do you how do you love more than one person? Well, it's it's actually pretty easy. Everyone loves more than one person. It might not be a romantic love for more than one person. Some people are not wired that way. No. But are you trying to tell me that, you know, if you have more than one child, you can only love that one child the most. If you have more than one aunt and uncle, you can only love one aunt the most or one parent the most. No. That, that just, it isn't how it works. Love is not pie. Well, and you always tease me about like, oh, you have other best friends other than me. I, I, that's a joke, folks, because to make the point here, like, it's just like that. Like my best friend from childhood, I had known almost 30 years and our relationship is really close and, t- and we're like brothers and I, I cherish it, but it doesn't diminish the love I have for you or the love I have for Blue Eyes or the love I have for, uh, for Emerald or the love, you know what I mean? Like, or the love I have for anyone else who, who's my close friend and or partner or both or whatever, because love is not a finite resource. And I feel like tying this back to our whole topic, to the point of normalizing polyamory and better representation and solving things by, through media, um, I actually find that shows like the sister wife thing and shows like my, my thousand pound life or whatever it is, you know, those kind of shows that 
kind of like are on Home and Garden or, or eight or I forget what channel they're on, but like TLC. They're all on the, TLC. That's the one. Shows like the that, Learning Channel. But they kind of the way they put a spotlight on these things, they put a spotlight on us as if we're like a freak show and a circus and derivative. And that causes more harm than good. I've always felt that even like, so I have someone who, as we've talked about before, has dealt with like body image issues and stigma and that kind of thing. I've always hated those kind of shows because I feel like they perpetuate a stigma. And so do shows about like sister wives and that kind of thing, not because it's not cool to see it represented, but the way they're representing it is the same way that autistic representation often happens where, oh, look, the poor deer, how different and weird they are. It is very much, I find in a lot of aspects, like, again, going back to Sister Wives, to which I have never actually watched, so probably shouldn't open my mouth about. But there's a lot of negative light. And I, you are exactly right. It feels like we are being portrayed in this very judgmental, negative, like, oh, look at the freaks. Not just that, but like a judgmental, puritanical savior light almost and it's really cringy yeah i agree with you um it was even i did actually watch the tiger king so did um, I. it was an institution in the early pandemic it really was and there was polyamory in the tiger king was it positively displayed both yes and no mm-hmm. um i did actually like the way and this is probably the only time i'll say i liked the way anybody did anything in that show um <clears throat> And Joe Exotic was very much like, no, I just, I love my partners and that's how it is. Now, don't get me wrong. There was a lot of questionable stuff going on in and around that. I'm not trying to say that, but I like that he was just very open about the fact that he loved his partners. Yeah. Um, but again, I find more and more, it is very, very rare that you see a positive spin on polyamory. Yes. You you really are to a point more likely to see a positive spin on neurospiciness or even at this point, LGBTQ. Um, the ones that, the ones that do seem to take the most hits um, in negative spotlights are um, unfortunately being polyamorous or being transgender. Polyamorous, transgender, and autistic, I would say, because ADHD even has a better representation than autism in some ways. Like, I'm not saying it's great either, but a lot of times it's, oh, you have struggles with this, but you can still be a you can still be a functioning human in this society. And I hate the word functioning, but bear with me. Whereas when you get autistic representation, it's, oh, look, the poor deer is a doctor. Good for him. You know what I mean? Yes. And it's like. Being said, I'm also not saying that being uh, queer gets awesome representation, but they are starting to receive more positive representation. And I am hoping that other things start to follow in that regard. I would just like less queer respectability representation and more queer, hey, there's a spectrum of us living different kinds of lifestyles. We're all valid and they're all okay. You should show us more type representation. Absolutely, because even still with, especially with gay men um, representation, you see a lot of this, that they have to be extremely flamboyant and extremely feminine and all this. And I have plenty of gay men in my life. And are there some flamboyant ones? Absolutely. Are there men that are just doing their thing and not exactly yes you but i just don't understand why the media feels they have to portray everyone because really and truly it is everyone be it neurotypical neurospicy uh queer 
anything. They they have to fit everyone in these little tiny boxes. Well, and I mean, honestly, one of the reasons why it took me, I think, so long as it did to like embrace my nervous body identity and discover my queer identity was I kind of felt like I don't fit into those representations. Do I really have a right to claim this? I understand how that would happen. Yeah, because it's kind of like, you know, like growing up, I like girls. You know, I mean, I've always been able to pass enough that I've wondered whether I even qualify. I, basically, I've been erased. Basically, that's what that's erasure is what is what I'm talking about. And it, it I can only assume that it's led a lot of people to not realizing they are a bunch of these things until later in life talking to people who are these things. Yeah, no, I, I get that because I even found that with being neurospicy. And I know you and I have talked about that quite a bit where I just thought I was really bad at being a person. Yeah, I feel bad. Um, you know, I just I couldn't do things that other people could do with the way my brain worked. And I just I never understood why I was so bad at being normal, for lack of a better word. That's literally how I felt at my old job with for a company we shall call LinkNet for the purposes of this video. I remember that with this mm-hmm. recording. I literally felt like I was just a terrible human. Like I sucked at being a functional adult employed human because I just could not do the things that they wanted me to do a lot of times. And I got bullied for it by my bosses and also struggled with the requirements of the job here because my brain was just not built that way. But of course, I wasn't looking at it like that at the time. I wasn't that self-aware. And I was just like, well, I don't really fit in. I, I can hold out a job, but could I really? Did I really struggle? You know, did I struggle more than I thought I did? Same with relationships. So I think tying this all back to the same thing we've been trying to talk about and getting derailed this entire time. If we had better representation that was more nuanced and used understandings of relationship anarchy and polycules and I know things to solve awful, outdated, awkwardly written forced drama things and stories and just accurately represented people, not only would we have better drama because fuck the drama that can come up with these kind of situations and these kind of people, oh, it's right for the picking. We'd have better understanding of the nuances of people, period, though. Right. I feel like if you are one of those people who gets a lot of your cues from who you are supposed to be from social media and media in general, and I will admit that I am one of those people, is that I learned a lot about how to be a person from reading, actually. Um, But when you're a neurodivergent kid and a queer kid and all these other things, and you are not exposed to any of that, it feels like having an empty puzzle box. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to make this, this picture, yep. but you don't have all of the pieces and you're not necessarily sure what the puzzle is supposed to look like in the end. And you're just desperately digging around. So sometimes as you're going, you make an entirely different picture of who you are. And it doesn't Right. Yeah, because growing up, I had no idea what polyamory even was. It didn't exist in my world. So a lot of times, especially when I was in university and like late high school and whatever, and was starting to date, and I people always made the joke that Adam had a relationship pattern where I would date someone, break up with them after a couple months, and I wasn't feeling like I'd go to the, on to the next person. And I always kind of beat myself up over this and kind of felt to myself like, what's wrong with you, Adam? You just Eventually, you just have to suck it up and get with the program to have the things you want in life. And then I heard, learned about polyamory. And at first, I was resistant to it because how could that work? But then I learned more about it. And I'm like, oh, so that's what that means when my brain does that. Well, and I think I, I don't actually know if I've talked about it too much on the podcast. But back in high school, I was in a throuple. Mm-hmm. And this is long before we had ever heard of the term polyamory. 
it was just a thing that the three of us were together and we loved each other and that was how it worked. Yeah. And, you know, and then I had a lot of people who just kind of called it my slut phase, which, okay, whatever, I get it. Um, but on the same hand, it was like, but it felt very, very normal to me. Like it didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong because didn't it make more sense? Now we were young in, in high school terms. We were one of those couples, throuples, um, that was together forever. We were together for two years. Oh, oh that's high forever. School. Oh, that, that's like, basically we were married and had children because we had been together for that long. Now I understand as a grown up, the two years, eh, you know, it's a good time, but it's not yeah. a forever thing. But, but when you're a teenager, that is a lifelong commitment. And it wasn't until years and years later um, that we discovered, because we're all still friends as well, that there was even a term for what we are or what we were. It was just, we got mocked a lot for our slut phase. And I was like, well, why does it make it different? Yeah, we dated two people, well, three, you know, together at the same time. Then the other kids in our school that were, you know, together for a week or two, and then they'd break up, there'd be huge drama. And then bam, they're onto somebody else. What, why is, why is one socially acceptable and the other one isn't? Right. Yeah, I know it's, this double standard there is just baffling. And oh, I had a thought to that as well. But like, oh my God. See, now it's my turn. I'm sorry. Um, well, so like on the note of it being like, it's just feeling normal. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I got it. I got it. So going back to what I was saying too, and combining it with your thing on normalcy, I'm just feeling the right thing. Every single monogamous relationship I've ever been in or mono presenting relationship I've ever been in I've said this before on the podcast, but I've always at some point or another felt trapped. It doesn't matter how much I love the person. It doesn't matter how close I am to the person. It doesn't matter. It, it, things could be perfect, but my brain on some level is like, this is wrong. And I didn't realize for the longest time what that was. Like I said, I, for a long time, I thought it was just something wrong with me and I had to get out the program and figure it out. Well, I have figured it out and it's just, <laughs> and, and the word for it is polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that was... I was trying to do relationships in a way that my brain didn't find natural, that my heart didn't find natural. Whereas now I, I am in a few romantic relationships and a few sexual relationships with people. And I feel completely comfortable and like myself and I can maintain them for a long ass time because I'm just doing what's natural. And it's so much better this way. And this is why, again, we need to represent this on TV so people don't have to go through the long, arduous journeys of unlearning that I had to go through to get to this point at 35. I 100% agree with you. It's a lot of times, and I've, I've talked to people about this, is if I had known some of the terms, and not just for polyamory, for neurodivergency and, and all of these things, if I wasn't just to- told that ADHD is something that essentially little white boys have and it means you're hyperactive we might've caught some of this stuff way sooner. Uh-huh. I might've known who I was long before my thirties. Had there been any kind of actual representation of what these different things are. Well, especially considering you and I both come from religious trauma in our own ways. So you got to mm-hmm. think more up. It's in my case, you're white, you're a boy, you're Catholic you can only ever date one person and get at a time and you get married and have kids and buy a house. And that is life. Mm-hmm. And being autistic is something that, okay, you are, but we don't really talk about that much except in hushed tones. 
and and because you're fine just the way you are, you don't need help because you're succeeding at school. And had I known, had Adam back then known that Adam in his 30s would be the way Adam is, I might have been horrified. I might have also been very proud all at the same time because I think it's one of those things where had I had terms for the ways I felt inside sooner, I would have known myself better. But I clung to the terms that I did have, a lot of which didn't fully fit me because it's all I had. Yep. Um, sorry, I just kind of had a moment where I was looking back into my own past. <laughs> and oh, no, it's true. Was the doctor there? Did you Maybe. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, again, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, is that I am proud to be someone who has found themselves with very little knowledge of like with, with a very little representation. And I'm glad that I can be basically a representation for the younger people in my life. But I'm very envious in a way of the younger people in my life where they have just been able to be like, oh, you know, I see that maybe I'm that. And then they try it for a little bit and maybe it's not them. Yeah. But the fact that they were there and they could try it without judgment Yep. I, I am I'm grateful that we are living in a world where most young people have a better shot of discovering themselves younger. So do I. I'm grateful for that. So am I, sorry. I'm grateful for that too. But God, sometimes it makes me envious that like Emerald can come up to me and tell me things that are going on in her life and things she's discovering about herself. And I'm just like, child, it took me until my late 20s to figure this stuff out. I'm jealous. Right. Like I will go, always go back to the day when my... <laughs> My bonus kid just kind of messaged me and was like, you know, mom, I'm a lesbian. Okay. Do you know how long it took me to be able to say that stuff to my parents? And not because, you know, my mom necessarily would have judged or anything else, but I was terrified. And this kid's just like, hey, ma, guess what? You know, like she was trying to tell me, or like they were trying to tell me they got an A on their test. Yeah. Well, and like, I don't know how long it took you, but I can tell you it took me 34 years <laughs> so yeah 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 i know right it's like happy for you but also how is this fair don't get me wrong i did come out when i was 16 but i came out as one thing when i was 16 and i feel like you know once every five years or so i have to come out with something else you've watched buffy the vampire slayer right i've seen several episodes of buffy the vampire slayer that's, that's a- it that's okay i'm only referencing the intro okay okay in every generation there's reborn a coming out <laughs> it's kind of like that right <laughs> well it really is because like when i was 16 i came out as bisexual yeah um in my early 20s um i came out as pansexual uh between the two of them i also came out as pagan yeah a few years after that i came out as polyamorous you know a few years after that it was like oh hey also autistic adhd with a welcome for that one by the way thank you um you know with a slew of other things that we had already knew about we knew that i suffered from uh social and general anxiety um i also have uh cptsd and a couple of other things but it's like just every single time it's like oh no i have it all figured out oh and you know shortly after coming out as polyamorous we also discovered that i'm demisexual so you know sometimes it's like all this stuff keeps rolling out and the way we were raised and i'm sure you were raised the same way is you were kind of supposed to know your shit 
uh-huh. all of your shit, exactly who you were, exactly what you wanted to do for the rest of your life, and basically who you wanted to marry and have children with by the time we were like 18 years old. Uh-huh. And I knew none of it. None of it. Not, not a single damn thing. I am 34 years old, almost 35, and going, really? This is who I am? Oh, right? shit, look at that. I mean, during the pandemic, I realized I was... Now, I do use he, him as pronouns, but I realized I was mm-hmm. a little bit gender non-conforming. We've had that conversation, which then led me to question my sexuality and realize I was bisexual. With all of this, you know, like, you were my gay guru during a lot of that, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> but, like, none of that is stuff I would have ever thought to figure out about myself in my teen years or my early 20s. Like, my early 20s, I will say, I was figuring out the more religious side of it. Like, I, I, I too, was figuring out the whole pagan side of my identity back then myself. But that was as far as it went. Like the thought of questioning other, these fundamental other things about my life and potentially risking the ire of my family. Oh God, no, one thing is enough. Well, and that's exactly it. I think the point of life is not knowing and just figuring it out as we go along. I agree. I think if you're, I think if you're not constantly coming out of new closets and figuring new things out about yourself, you're kind of living life wrong. I think so too. And I think that is probably a very good place to say goodbye. I think so too. Um, so... We want to apologize to you guys for our neurospicy brains getting in the way of a steady release schedule. We will do the best we can to come up with these as much as we can, but things might get busy for us in the next little bit because we both have stuff going on in our personal lives, but we'll do the best we can to keep a regular steady stream of podcasts coming up. We are doing our best. Yes. And with that, have a good one. Keep uh, Drink your water, take your meds, and we love you. We love you so much. Bye. Bye. Special thanks goes to Paul Unger, who designed the rainbow infinity symbol and brain component of our logo, and we love it very much. Thanks, Paul. Oh, shit, back. You know what we forgot? What did we forget? Happy birthday to us. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday to us. And we can't keep it tuned. <laughs> no, it's it's our birthday. It's it's the Nerd Emerging Polyamorous podcast birthday, or rather, we're 15. It days. was. Yeah. Yeah, is this a part where we talk about how, as as neurospicy people, we just cannot keep a schedule to save our lives? No, I don't think we need to talk about it. I think everyone knows. The Neurodivergent Polyamorous was created and produced by Adam Mardero and Becca Kelterborn. Copyright 2023.